Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph begins a new series entitled, The Church on Monday. Today's message is entitled, Being Church on Sunday. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. I've called the message today, The Church on Sunday. This is something, if you've been in our church for a while, you've heard me talk about this, hopefully, several times. But it's just kind of, it's a refocus. If you're brand new in our church, then I welcome you into this discussion. This is kind of what we believe that a church should all be about. And I, I'm going to do the preachery thing that I don't like to do. I, you know, I, there's little stereotype things that preachers always do. You know, all three points of the message start with the same letter. Well, today we're going to do that. And so it's force, field, and fortress. We're going to start with fortress. Seeing church as a fortress, seeing church as a field, a mission field, where, where the, the job of the church is to just get everybody to know the Lord, or seeing the church as a missional force, something that goes out in the community and makes a difference. And that's what we're trying to do, along with a bunch of other churches in our state. And in Galatians chapter 5, I want to talk about church as a fortress, and you won't find the word fortress in here. The Bible never makes any sort of an allusion to that. Uh, the, the scripture does describe the Lord as our fortress and the Lord as our high tower and the Lord as our strength, but not the church. And w when we begin to make the church into our fortress, now stop and think about this. Uh, the youth center is a good example. I grew up in a large church in Portland, Oregon, and they built a youth center while I was there as a kid. But the, their idea of a youth center was not a place for kids to worship. What we're building is a place for kids to hang out in, but a place for them to have a worship meeting. They meet in here, and they, they don't like the de decor, you know. Besides that, we could be doing things on Sunday night if they had their own facility, and all the rest of the weekend were, were really stressed for space. So there's all these reasons for doing this thing. But I'll tell you what we're not doing. We're not building a place to get a few kids off the street so they can play basketball so they won't get in trouble out there in the world. That's not what we're doing. Because that's what my church did, and it didn't work. As soon as you make the church into a fortress, as soon as this, this church, whether you're talking about the building or you're talking about the true church, the people, as soon as you make the church into the fortress, the hiding place, the place to just get away from the world and all of its evils, you do two things. You immediate, three things. You make God, you make the church into an idol. You start to trust the church instead of trusting God. And that'll, that'll always fail you. The second thing that we do wrong is that we start to get inward and, and we start to get all kind of selfish and, and because I come here only for me. I come here only for me and I come here for a wrong motive. It's a fear motive. And, and then the third thing that we do is we just set ourselves up for failure because the church can never, ever take God's place. We can't do what God can do and what God only can do. Does that make sense to you? You know, the, the high school thing and the junior high school thing, they, they see themselves as a force for change in our community. 
They come here to tank up on the things of the Lord and go out there and give it away. And that's the strength. That's the thing that's happening. And so they don't see it at all as a, as, as a fortress. They see it as a place. You know, Jesus said, you're the salt in the earth. They see it as a place to get the salt salty. So when they go out there, they can flavor and preserve the world around them. And that's how we need to see it. Now, as I read this scripture, you're going to go, what in the world is, has that got to do with being a fortress? And I think you'll catch it in a minute. Verse 13 of chapter 5 of Galatians says, you have been called to live in freedom. The Lord called you out of bondage. Bondage to anger. You heard Clinton talking about it this morning. Bondage to alcohol. Bondage to drugs. Bondage to pornography. Bondage to whatever. You've been called out to live in freedom. And the buddy says this. It's not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. God didn't call us to freedom for me, myself, and I. And I put myself first over you. It's freedom to serve one another in love. And then he gives us warning. He says, the whole law can be summed up in this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another, then watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Well, what's that got to do with church, with church as a fortress? Well, I've been around. I, I spent a lot of time in, in, in churches all over the place. And I, I, I see churches where Everything has gotten inward. Everything is selfish. Everything is protect us from the evil out there. there. There comes an antagonism toward the world that we're supposed to love. But then there immediately after that follows an antagonism to each other. And you start to see people who will begin to, 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 to break fellowship with one another over nonsensical things. You know, you sat in my chair. That's the chair I always sit in. Now, that seems really silly, doesn't it? But I was in a church once that had, it was a little tiny church, probably had room for 70 people. And there were about 30 in the church. And, and uh, my friend had gone to become the pastor. He was associate pastor in our church when I started out. I was 25, he was 58. Uh, he was pushing 70, and he went out to take over and be the pastor of this congregation. He had a uh, he'd, he'd worked in the aerospace industry, had a comfortable retirement. He just wanted to serve the Lord the rest of the life. And he, his wife had passed away. He'd married into this extended family. They all moved with him to this little town in Southern California. And, and they, they went in there, and they, some of his family members made the mistake of sitting in the pew that was reserved without a sign on it for the patriarch of the church. You know, There was hostility like that. And when I tell him I got there about six months later, there's my friend and his family sitting on this side and this guy and his family sitting on this side and there's a wall of hostility between them. They missed the point. They're supposed to come here to love and serve one another, to encourage one another, to love and good deeds, to get out and make a difference in the world. And, and when you start to get it, it's all about me and it's all selfish, you start to lose. I've known churches that, you know, somebody said to me the other day, we were talking about something, they said, you know, it's proof that God exists because people can be so hateful and spiteful and somehow his church still survives. And in the deadest of churches, we'll end up touching a life or two here or there. But I've seen people, you know, disagree over the philosophy of the ministry, disagree over the color of carpet, uh, disagree somebody didn't talk to me, or they don't like the pastor's message, he offended me, you know, just whatever it is. And we just get our nose bent out of shape. 
You know, we try to do something uh, on the scale of faith for the future, and, and then somebody gets their self all put out because it didn't work the way that they wanted to. N not good. Not healthy. Not the way that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have a, a, a heart that's filled with love toward one another, and, and the only way we're going to do that is to get off of the idea that it's all about me. You know, when Rick Warren wrote that book, Purpose Driven Life, they sold 25 million copies of that book. And the first line of the book says much of, of what needs to be said. It's not about you. It's not about me. This is about the Lord and something bigger than, than either one of us. Now, God is a fortress, and there is safety in the fellowship that we have in church. There is something about making sure that your children grow up in the fellowship with other kids in church that will protect them from the world. But let's let God be the fortress that we're running to and not let our church. Let's have a higher ideal for our church and, a, and the role of us because we are the church. So that way we begin thinking more about being the church on Monday than being the church on Sunday. Sunday is, is, is a tool on the way to Monday. Am I making sense? You seem so enthused. You're just driving me up the wall. Go with me to uh, Hebrews. I'm editing this as I go because I literally did talk an hour last night. And I don't want to do that to you. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And this is the, the second form of church that is, is actually pretty much prevalent in the mainland today. This is, this is what you, you get pretty much across the board. This, this is really... I, I, I grew up in a church that was very much like what I'm about to describe to you, but this is what the baby boom has embraced by and large as church, and as church is a mission field. And uh, I was talking to a pastor the other day, and he was talking about counting nickels and noses, that churches get into their, their, their little number system, and everything is, uh, success is based on on you know how many people come to your church or how much money do you pass through the church and I mean it's just it's just terrible it's it's everything the opposite of what the Lord said that we should be all about and and but in this church what you you what you turn into is a sort of a above a processing uh, deal you know I I was reading this morning in the newspaper um, there's a place that I I like to go to in Washington State my sister used to have a little houseboat there and we'd go and stay on the boat. There's this place called Wallapa Bay, and, and it's actually the, 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 the largest oyster-producing location in the United States. And it was talking about how uh, things have changed, and it used to be that people wanted their oysters shucked and in a bottle. You know, they get rid of the shell and shove the thing and can it and sell it. Now they... Now people want to eat oysters live on the on the on the half shell, and so they have to process this thing different. But they went through this thing of just you you shuck the oyster, you kill the oyster, you pickle the oyster, and you just process, 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 process to this thing where you you treat the oyster with you know certain respect and gentleness on its way to somebody eating it. <laughs> that, but we we can easily become a church where we think the whole purpose of church is to introduce people to the Lord in the church meeting. And we become the mission field church. And, 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 and so what we do is, is several things. One of the things is we tend to, to isolate 
the teaching, everything that happens in the, in the meeting has to do with somebody who doesn't yet know the Lord. So somebody who does know the Lord doesn't come away spiritually fed or challenged or encouraged or built up in any way at all. And, and so with the, the message becomes anemic. Does that make sense to you? Well, then they, there's a science to this. I mean, you, you'd be appalled at some of the stuff that, that, that people go to, the, 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 the conferences and stuff that gets taught there. I mean, uh, the nickels and noses thing. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole school of thought. People talk about how much square footage do you have under roof? That's a measure of success. I thought a measure of success is, is, is who found the Lord last week, who got delivered from alcohol, what marriage got restored. You know, what, what, what are we looking at? I mean, this is ridiculous. How many people come to your church That's a, versus how many people are in the, the community? Well, you know, I have a friend that's in a place called Tip City, Ohio. He's pastoring a church of over 4,000 people. You know how many people live in Tip City? 600. That's quite a church. But what about the other church down the road in Tip City? It's got... 60 people in it. Now that's 10% of the community. Is that pastor not a success? Is that church not a success? See, see this, this, this kind of comparative thing, it can only cost us in the long run. We, it, it, has to be, it has to be something a little bit deeper that's going on. But one of the things that you get taught in some of these things is, is only try to reach people like you. And I mean, they get it down to, you know, who's like you ethnically? Who's like you in their mentality? Who's like you in terms of age? You know, it's very true that it's the easiest for a pastor to reach people who look like him and think like him and are about the same age as him. And, and so oftentimes churches reflect uh, 10 years either side of the pastor's age, 10 years older, 10 years younger. That would mean that our church would be reserved for people who are 49 to 69 years old. That's not true of our church at all. We're in the process of, of raising up a thriving young generation of people. You know, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, but when I hit L.A., I got infected. You know, whatever there is about California or La La Land or whatever it is, I bought in 100%. If I would have stayed that way inside of this brain when I came here, you wouldn't be here today because you wouldn't want to be here today. There has to come to a place where I'm willing to to die to my identity to serve the people around me. You know, we, we made a choice early on. We are going to be a rainbow church. We're going to reflect the community. And, and, I, and, and as you look around, I think we've done a pretty good job of it. And so as you, as you look at this business of, of, of just we're, we're a processing plant, we're a mission field, we bring people in. There's this tendency to bring people in who are just like us, and we feel comfortable with that. You know, I, every so often I hear something that'll alarm me. I hear people saying, oh, they brought somebody new to my mini church. I didn't like that. That made me uncomfortable. Well, something's wrong with you. Yeah. Have you noticed the people wearing lays this morning? They all, the lays are all the same color. That's a clue. Reach out. Make a friend. Welcome somebody. You came here the first time before. You know, let's, let's, let's get out of ourselves. But this, this thing, now, now again, the, the scripture I picked is going to sound a little odd, but let me tell you a little bit more about church, and it'll make sense. In verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, Continue to love each other with true Christian love. 
Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. So some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Don't forget about those in prison. Suffer with them as though you were there yourself. Share the sorrow of those being mistreated as though you feel their pain in your bodies. You care for people other than you and people who are not especially like you, including people on the outside of the church, including people who are in prison, what have you. You know, one of the nicest compliments that I ever get are the letters I get from people in prison, from both the men's prison and the women's prison. They put us on the radio at extra time late at night for free, just as a, as a, as a blessing to our church. And that's the time that they tend to listen in the prison. And so I get to be the, I have the privilege of pastoring a bunch of people in OCCC. To me, that's a wonderful thing. That's a, that's a, that's a side benefit of, of my job. I like that very much. We should care about people like that. But it says, don't, don't be hesitant to welcome strangers. See, if I'm into this, that I'm, our whole deal is we're processing my friends into the church. Then, there, then I'm, I'm going to be sort of insular toward, toward everybody else. Especially I'm going to be insular toward people who are quite unlike me. Let me talk about two, two stories, two situations. My friend Jerry Cook that you all met about three years ago. Remember Jerry, the little short guy that's so smart that you walk away for three weeks trying to think about what in the world was that he was saying? And then you the light goes on and you're going, why, goodness. Well, I, when Jerry was 25, I was uh, 19, 18, 19, I guess. 18 still. And I helped him for 12 weeks uh, launch a church. He had taken over, assumed the pastorate of a church that was actually about 30 years old, but had 22 people in it, in a wretched old building. And we would hang army blankets on wires, World War II surplus army blankets with safety pins on wires and divide the auditorium. And we turned that into Sunday school. And so I'd be teaching my class of everybody from age 12 to 36. And Jerry would be standing behind me teaching his class of the old folks. We were back to back with a blanket in between us, and the noise problems were horrendous. It was just, it was a, it was a circus. But you know that church was was built on love, and it began to grow, and it began to thrive. And I left after 12 weeks, went to college, and I would just go back and vacations and whatever. One time I went back, and and I and I was hanging out with Jerry, and, and he was telling stories. We went to some guy named Frank's house, and Jerry's over there talking story with these people, and. And, and he told about something that had happened a few months earlier in the church. And that was there's a, a pastor in Portland who had committed adultery and had to be removed from his church. He was pastoring a very large multi-ethnic church. He was an African-American man. He fell for this lady in the church and they did the right thing. They, they fired him. And he, for a while, I think you get into an affair and you think you're flying pretty high and and then all of a sudden the world starts to come crashing down on you and, and these people were broken. They were married. You're not going to unmarry them. And they were broken. And they just wanted to repent and get their life right with the Lord. They didn't want to, He wasn't trying to get his job back. He wasn't trying to get a job in another church. He was trying to get his soul repaired. They went to 11 churches. And in 11 churches... They, because it took about a year before they even wanted to go to church because they were doing their thing. But the, in 11 different churches, the elders or the pastor or somebody would meet them before they could get anywhere near the front door of the church and tell them, you're not welcome here. And they showed up at East Hill, the church that Jerry was a pastor of, which now is growing. 250 is still a small church, but in our movement in those days, it was getting to be quite a big church because we were pretty small. And 
And uh, there was all this enthusiasm and excitement. Uh, those 250 people were crammed into a little building. It was made for about 160. So that, that, that makes it more, you know, a lot more enthusiasm and all that. And this man shows up in church and somebody comes running into Jerry. Oh, no, this guy's coming to our church. And he's been, those other people have had to deal with him and all that. And Jerry says, I'll take care of this. And he walks to the front door of the church and he, and he waits. And now, of course, he's got everybody's attention. The, the gossip's going around real fast and everybody's watching Jerry. How's he going to handle this guy? And, and as, as the guy starts to walk up the steps of the church, Jerry walks down the steps of the church, wraps his arm around both those people and says, I welcome you in Jesus' name. And everybody in the circle starts crying real fast. They lost 50 people from that church that day. There were 50 people that couldn't handle somebody that, because it was basically, a, a, I mean, Oregon is Oregon, at least in those days, it was a real white church. And here's a person who's not real white and who's also ad admittedly sinned horribly. And the pastor went out and embraced him and loved him, and those people couldn't handle that. They missed the point. And the church was better off without them, and it moved forward faster without them until it was a church of about 5,000 people. Am I making sense? You know, I, I had a, a deal, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but there was a time when I was first pastoring. I probably hadn't been there for a year. Uh, we used to have midweek service that everybody would come to, and we were so small there were like 18 people at midweek, so maybe we had 60, 70 people in church. And, and I, I, I grew up real straight-laced kid. You know, I, I would be the guy in the back of the classroom feeding jokes to the class clown because I wasn't going to say them out loud and get myself in trouble, you know, face my dad. Uh, and, and all of a sudden I'm pastoring this church and it's and this is the 70s, right? So it's the whole hippie deal. But I got all these, these, these bikers. I got contest surfers in my church. I got people who are cool and I'm the little Mr. Straight-Laced in the suit when I start out. And so I'm trying real hard to adapt and fit in and be cool. I mean, that's the whole thing about the baby boom. If nothing else, we are cool. You know, we know how to be cool. One night we were in this little, the, the group was so small that we were like a large circle. I presented a Bible study and then we'd have discussion and just open it up for prayer. And these two guys came into our church and, and I, I, I want to just stop and say something because I, I heard a couple of things and I, 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 that's not why I'm teaching this message, but along the way I can't resist. Um, the man that we had speak in church last week is a man who went to, the, to a United States senator with a resolution asking the President of the United States to apologize to Native Americans for a couple of hundred years of grievances. And that senator ended up taking him seriously enough that he left here to go to D.C. To, to go speak to a Senate subcommittee on this thing. And he's the man who initiated the thing. He was drawn into the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as a peacemaker by the Palestinians. He describes himself in these terms. He says, I'm a reservation Indian. And by that, what he means is he spent most of his life on the reservation and never got out in the world with folks like us. His grammar is poor. And he'll tell you that it's poor. 
When he speaks, he, he, he's very interesting. We had him pray with some intercessors in our church, and Jeff Chavez went there, and he said, Ralph, I couldn't believe it. He goes, he did what, what you, you probably expected him to do. It was bing, 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 point for point for point for point. In about 10 minutes, he went boom, 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 boom. But he got up here, and he talked story. And some of us weren't able to look past the grammar, past the culture of someone who's very natural in their own culture, and we didn't hear what he had to say. And that's a tragedy, because this is a wise man. I brought him here more for who he is than for what he had to say, because I want you to be marked by just the persona of the person. See, can, I can remember when we sent our youth pastor, Blaine Sato, sumo, because he looks like that, to everybody, to, to a Bible college in the mainland. And one of the professors in, in, took him on in a preaching class and literally said these words, sumo, do you think that someday you're going to be a pastor and you're going to talk like that and people are going to listen to you and pay attention to you? You need to learn to speak right. I wrote the school a letter and got the person fired. Because not only speaking pidgin does Sumo speak right in Kaneohe to the kind of people that he would like to reach in Kaneohe, it's working really, really well in Orange County, California right now because he's pastoring a huge youth group and he still speaks pidgin. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. If you have any questions about today's program or would like to find out more about Hope Chapel, call this number, 235-5814. And if you're looking for a church home, Hope Chapel meets Friday and Saturday nights and on Sundays. Again, you can call 235-5814 for service times and directions. Thanks for listening and join us again next time for The Word of Hope. If you'd like to get a copy of today's broadcast, when you call, just ask for tape number RM2085. That's RM2085. Hi, this is Pastor Ralph. I want to remind you to check out our website at www.hopechapel.com. 